What if he shoots us a message and says he's not coming back? He left out the bathroom window. I don't know why. <laughs> he didn't have to do that. We're not even looking at the door. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we love this music and we know what we are talking about. We've got opinions and we're not afraid to say them aloud. We already know if this is Scott. Because this is Horn Pod. Horn Pod. Horn Pod. Welcome to Horn Pod, a ska podcast. I'm JJ Loy, and I'm joined by Matthew Wixon. So JJ, we haven't even done a show in, in a little bit. Like it's I know, been man, o- been over a month. What what have you been up to? Um, <laughs> mild me, psychedelics. Okay, nice. <laughs> I'm looking inward for the new sound. You know. Yeah, yeah. We all we all have to look inward from time to time. And just kind of, I don't know, I just, I haven't really been thinking about it for some reason. Yeah, you know what? Like, I feel guilty about it because every so often we, like, listeners will be like, what the hell's going on? Right. <clears throat> How come you guys haven't put an episode out in a while? And honestly, like, I I assumed it was only on my part and not you, but apparently we both, it just slips our, both of our minds. <laughs> well, and, I, like, and I know that, yeah, you had this new, you've got kind of a, a new extra commitment going on. And so I, I certainly yeah. like, if I, if I don't have like a strong. And it's actually weird. Like I've got a couple of big commitments going on. Like mm-hmm. one is a comedy project. Uh, I, if you're in Michigan, I'm going to be doing a comedy show at the planet ant theater every Sunday or sorry, every Thursday. That's a totally different day of the week. Uh, (laughs) Every every, Thursday, every Thursday night at the planet ant theater in Hamtramck. Uh, But I'm also working on a, a musical project uh, that doesn't involve me writing or playing any of the music. It's like a, like a, uh, you'll find out. Some of you you're, already know. You're directing it, right? I'm, I'm sort of a like an executive producer on a project that will be coming out pretty soon. And we'll probably have an announcement on the podcast because, you know, I'm part of that and I'm part of this podcast. We'll probably do a little thing here. All right. So let's, let's name, talk about let's name these two projects. What, 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 are, what are you doing? The Thursday night thing is called uh, what? It's called Ants in the Hall. Ants in the Hall. Okay, that's fun. Yeah. Um, the other one I can't talk about yet. You can't even say the name of that yet. No, I can't. Untitled even... musical project. Un- untitled musical project. I <laughs> I honestly think we might like announce it on the podcast if I can pull it. So we'll we'll sure. see. I don't I don't want to I don't want to blow the announcement. To be honest, I'm also pre- like busy, busy. But I I do kind of feel a little bit guilty that we haven't done this in a little bit. <laughs> well, it's, I think Especially it's great when, that, that we are though. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Uh, especially though, like it, I, if you have, if you guys are messaging us and or leaving comments or whatever, uh, your guilt trip does work on us. I'm not gonna lie, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it does work. Uh, hold for listener feedback se- segment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's that. I mean, I gotta say, that's pretty exciting, man. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. It's also a uh, lot of work right now. So JJ, you recently saw the Slackers a couple of days after I recently saw the Slackers. Uh, yeah, as of this recording, it was yesterday. Yeah, yeah. It was it was a different vibe for sure. It was okay. Uh, it was it was definitely weird to to be uh, masked at a show. I haven't haven't yet encountered that. 
it was interesting because mustard plug was like not masked and the slackers were mostly masked uh-huh and and even made a a, a nice uh, i'd say like appropriately toned uh plea to the crowd to, to keep the masks on did they do it right after like that first block of three songs i i feel it. Like, yeah maybe maybe after the second song well usually like they I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but their live sets usually go three songs, break, three songs, break, three songs, break. Yeah, maybe that is how it went then. I, I mean, based on, <laughs> have you, I assume you've been reading Ara's tour updates. Some of them. I don't think I've, I don't think I'm a completist on that, but yeah, that definitely, sure. uh, <laughs> completist. definitely a few, a few of the spots. <laughs> I'm a Facebook completist. <laughs> Uh, well, there. Well, I can no, see it, somebody it, seeing this as like a thing they need to to keep track of. Everyone, like it, it seems like a project. They're printing them all out. I've got every yeah. single R up. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, I mean, every every comment is somebody somebody asking him to to collect it all. You know, like I know, I know. Like every single time he posts, you need to I keep, put this into a book. I keep thinking of uh, the interview we did with him and. And I suggest, oh, Ari, you should try this. Ari, you should yeah. try that. And he's like, nope. He's like, nope, I don't want to nope. do nothing. <laughs> I want to focus on drumming. I'm a drummer. I'm a All drummer. All I do is drum. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> don't want to write songs. Don't want to write a book. <laughs> the energy was very different for a slacker show. Like the mustard plug left things on a very, very high energy note. And I kind of expected the slackers to hit us with like a bunch of Scott and they, they kind of came in with just like kind of a, kind of a groove, kind of a, a yeah. slower vibe. And it wasn't wrong, but it just, it definitely like, See, I, I kind of want, I just kind of wanted them to like amp a little more. And, and that that's maybe just like my energy level. But I, on the, on the other hand, like I, I left that show feeling just like so grateful that they're back on the road, that they yeah. chose St. Louis as one of their spots. Right. Cause um, they don't come to St. Louis as often as they come to some other cities. Right. Right. Exactly. I would say for every one Chicago and I'm sorry for every three Chicago stops, they, they'll maybe hit St. Louis once. And they do Chicago basically once a year. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess a little bit of a backstory is I used to work at the place where this venue was. So it's always, it's always weird going back there. Uh -huh. I used to work there with, with Rob from MU330. I, I bumped Ooh. into him in line and I was like, hey, Rob, how long has it been since you've been here? And he was like five or six years. I'm like, it's probably been like three years for me. Oh, you're still connecting, Chuck. We can't hear you yet. Oh, I, you, now you're connected. Can you hear I'm, us? Oh, so man. what's new, guys? Man, Chuck, I don't know. How are you? You had a busy day at work, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, it was funny. Like, um, you know, my, my you know, day day job chaos won't go into 10 p.m but it can easily go into 7 30 or 8 so sure fair enough well i appreciate you accommodating my east coast early bedtime ass sensibilities <laughs> <laughs> well i think that's one of the the things that might surprise uh folks that, that just know you through the label but you have a day job yeah, <laughs> we should spe we should specify first that uh our our guest today is, is chuck wren owner and, and founder and i don't know head and, honcho and of, <laughs> yeah of uh of jump up records and the new ones pay attention records correct the the new yes. ones? okay yes. our little partnership with uh philip from scott punk daily yeah he's got all kinds of ideas and he's you know the 
the sleeper cell out there. You know, he <laughs> he's, he's kind of like had, the guy. He's had some ideas, and now he finally has like a partnership to get them out there. Exactly. Yeah. You know, he was kind of like the the guy that really made that whole Scott against racism thing. You know, get, get off the ground, and you know, I, I feel like he didn't quite get his just dues. So, uh, you know, I said, hey, I'm here for you. Whatever you know, ideas you got. Let's let's get them out there, and we're you know we're running with the baton right now. Sometimes it doesn't feel like running though, with all these <laughs> you know production headaches and. Oh, know, I know. I can't even. Um, I can't even um, imagine running a label right now, trying to get vinyl made. I mean, it's kind of uh, you know, it's it's soul crushing on a, on a daily basis. <laughs> yeah, but I bet. Um, you know, and you know, the weird thing is, you know, you get to a point where you have so many things in production that when you actually get them, you're kind of like already over it yourself. <laughs> and that's really, that's really tragic. You're, you're already you on to the next thing. Yeah. Or the next, yeah. Handful of things. So yeah, I want to, <laughs> you know, a lot of times it's like, I live vicariously through the people who are, you know, playing the records or sharing it online or just, you know, sure. taking pay with it because it's like, Oh, you know, that's, that made the whole journey, you know, worthwhile. Um, right. Like, so you know, I take it. I take it. Demand is up too, though. Like, these are selling. Demand is up in many ways, but the um, the reality of it is, there's more stuff. Um, right. You know, not just in the ska world, but you know, reissues in general. I mean, it seems like everything that was popular in the '90s and early 2000s is celebrating 10th anniversary, 15th anniversary, 20th anniversary. I'm like, it just you know, it just right. doesn't end. So, you know, I tell people all the time that, you know, when I did records, say like the, you know, the Toasters, uh, One More Bullet, you know, in uh, ooh, 2009, knock on wood, I think, you know, and I think people are surprised to find out that, you know, records sold like a thousand copies back then. <laughs> um, and it was not that hard to do because, there were so few records. So the actual diehards all came out, you know, in storm, you know, and you could sell like thousands and thousands of records just because there wasn't that many records out. And you actually had people who were vinyl collectors and they'd buy anything they could because there wasn't that much stuff out. And yeah. now it's kind of, now it's kind of the opposite. You know, people are being, you know, uh, very conscious of, you know, what's coming out, you know, and records just keep, I mean, I used to, you know, every so often I'd see like the Facebook memories, like, Oh, you did this sale in 2010. It's like, yeah, yeah. I did 10 records. I did 10 records shipped for 50 bucks. <laughs> you know, I mean, that can never happen again. You know, the production costs have gone through the roof and, and uh, you know, postage is a lot more expensive, but back then you could. You know, I've been the canary in the coal mine for like 20, 30 years and no one listens to me. So thanks for calling. <laughs> That's such well, a you're making it work, though. Yeah. You know, and the thing is, like, you know, in the end of the day, what makes it all worthwhile is when you see that, you know, band able to, you know, take a, you know, a, a, a next step, you know, from, you know, your work and efforts, you know, and perfect example would be. You know, you guys got this. Oh, well, at least you know Matt did. But, you know, you got to see the free coasters. You know, <laughs> yeah. up in, in Ann Arbor. You know, and and you know because the record finally came out, and I was able to help them kind of get out of the the little you know 
they were a little bit stuck in the mud, you know, after their, uh, you know, I think it was a Kickstarter or something from like a couple of years ago. And I said, you know, this, this record needs to come out, you know, and you may just need a little help. I mean, I'm not reinventing the wheel, but, you know, I just want to come in and help you, you know, get this across the finish line. And, you know, here we are six, seven months later, and we're able to angle that to a, you know, performance at, you know, Slackfest. And they, they right. slayed it. Like, you know, they, they were so, so good. That, they, yeah. Like, when, I really, on, when I saw them in Ann Arbor opening for the Slackers, they absolutely, like, I, I had already been a fan. I had already had, like, I'd already bought the new album, two different colors of vinyl. Like, I'm already a fan, right? Uh, yeah. But I, I, I didn't expect, like, when I saw them announce, like, a month or so before the show, I was so excited about it because I didn't think they'd be. That's right. I didn't know they'd be up in Michigan for any reason uh, this year. You know, like it's the it's still a pandemic out there, and who the fuck's coming to Michigan from Florida? But well, I like, mean, the, the thing the thing was is like you know we were able to first get that you know good gig in Chicago for Slackfest, and I said, well, you know, you guys open for other shows if if the opportunity comes, and uh, I just you know reached out to Dave Hilliard. I said. You know, free coasters are driving from Fort Myers. It's <laughs> <laughs> a long way. Um, any other opportunities in the in the regional shows? You know, I, I would you know I would truly appreciate. It. He said, "Oh yeah, I love them." Uh, how about Ann Arbor? I'm like, oh, and it was it was literally just done. You know? <laughs> yeah, nice. Um, and you know, they they got a lot of uh, new fans, if not just from people seeing them at those shows, but for people sharing the video and talking them up, you know, and, you know, being able to play a couple high profile shows, you know, can do the work of like, you know, you getting up every morning, posting on Facebook. Yeah. A yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, getting in front of the right audience is still the best way to promote your music yeah, without a doubt. And the slackers fans are the best audience for the free coasters i think oh yeah so like you know. that's exactly and then like a, a high profile gig like chicago like that's i mean I, this is gonna go a little bit off topic but it's all related to this i think chuck if you'll allow it that if you, i will you <laughs> it's it's going to be a compliment so you're gonna have to accept okay. this all right, all right. <laughs> i Strap think in. I think that your label that Jump Up has done a lot for ska, but also I think you have done so much for the Midwest and it and its place in ska. Uh, because even like like you just said, uh, getting the free coasters this gig in Ann Arbor is a gift to the free coasters, but it's a gift to Michigan as well. And yeah. and you do like and I feel like there's been so many shows that I have seen because that band was coming to Chicago <laughs> and happened to no, come no, to Detroit the day, a day or two yeah. before or after. Mm -hmm. And I think like Mr. T-Bone is one. He, <laughs> he never would have played in random, this random fucking Detroit suburb, Berkeley, Michigan, right. if right. he hadn't had a gig in Chicago a day or two yeah. later, you know, yeah. like it's that kind of, and like, I don't know how many people appreciate it because a lot of these, like if the free coasters played in Michigan <laughs> on their own, there's yeah. not a ton of people that would come, you know, uh, same with Mr. Right. T-Bone. Like there wasn't nearly enough people there to even appreciate how great of a gift it was to have Mr. Right. T-Bone just right. here in yeah. my suburb. But 
to those of us who are out who are coming out to these shows who get exposed to these bands and another one that just came to my mind is the, the carol Reggians and moon invaders tour oh that was a crazy like yeah, 20, 2010 right yeah i couldn't believe we could get that come through it's, chicago it's, it's in, yeah, yeah. It's in, like these are the cut like you have given me personally these gifts and yeah, that, i, I, I want to thank you i want to thank yeah. you for being such a good influence us on a on the capital city of the midwest that the rest of the midwest gets to benefit from it <laughs> i mean i so thank you i i, I feel like it, <laughs> it, it i mean i know it's not the way that a lot of people work but i feel like it's the way it should work you know and you know if i'm going to be you know, going all in, putting out someone's record and trying to promote them. I mean, that'd be, you know, I'd be a, a, I wouldn't be able to live with myself. I didn't actually try <laughs> to book them in Chicago and selfishly see them. I mean, part of the right, joke, right. you know, with, with the free coaster, I said, look, you know, I know it, you know, it's asking a lot for you to come all the way from Fort Myers to the Midwest, but you know, I selfishly need to see you. So, you know, <laughs> if that plays into the, you know, into, into the decision-making, um, you know, I think a lot of people do like playing the Midwest because we're nice people, you know, and we're 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 not, you know, full of attitude and we're very welcoming. And I had Most no doubt us. that Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I had no doubt that the free coaster would go over well, you know, in, in Ann Arbor and, and in Chicago. And when it went over so well that, you know, the owner of Reggie's is, you know, trying to find them the next morning to give them more money as a tip which Whoa. was crazy awesome yeah nice you know this that's, is a music that's business. literally you know, unheard you know, of literally unheard yeah, of. yeah <laughs> it, is, it is literally unheard of you know yeah that doesn't really happen no. anywhere else you know or la or you know nothing against la or new york but it's just not it doesn't happen you know and i feel like the midwest is some place where that could happen i mean ann arbor is definitely a town where that kind of thing could happen i yeah i remember one time uh, my band played a show in St. Louis where JJ didn't mm -hmm. come to see us. And mm -hmm. <laughs> we, uh, like at the end of the show, we're, we're all like kind of loitering inside the bar that we played at. And the, the bartender or the owner of the bar or something had, uh, like a Detroit D like a tiger's old English D sure. tattoo. Yeah. And oh, tattoo. Oh. yeah, tattoo. And we're like, Hey, uh, are you from Detroit? He's like, yeah, man, you guys are from Detroit too, right? I'm like, we're like, yeah. He's like, hey, let me give you, like, he just handed us a bottle of whiskey for the road <laughs> just because we were exactly. from a place he used to live. <laughs> like, yeah. that is so yep. Midwestern. Yep. Has anybody ever called you an influencer? <laughs> because because I, I no, I do think that you are an influencer in like the realist sense, not in like the Instagram fucking sponsored post right. kind of way, right? But in the right. way that like you literally make in, taste in a Selena Gomez sort of way. Is that what you mean? Sure, yeah, in a Selena Gomez sort of way, if you want. <laughs> No, I just mean like no. in a in a very literal sense, you shape people's tastes in your region and around the world. <laughs> I mean, you're also a businessman and whatever, but like you more more than the records you sell, you influence 
what people are listening to. Uh, and even if that's too like grandiose, you at least influence some of the bands people are seeing. Well, thank you. Uh, but I would also go <laughs> to say that anyone who does, you know, what I do for the same reasons would also be considered, you know, influencers. So there's many times where some of the, you know, the, the overseas labels that we have arrangements with and we trade product with, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll take someone's suggestion, you know, someone will hit me yeah. up. I mean, I mean yeah, perfect, sure. example, perfect example is because, you know, Matt just bought one of these. Thank you. <laughs> um, but one of these uh, wild man rhythm records and then, um, the reason why they were even on my radar in the first place is because, you know, uh, the guy at Brixton records in Spain put out the first one Yeah, and I hadn't actually stocked it for no good reason other than I was probably too busy, you know, stocking New York Scott jazz records or, you know, things that were kind of no brainers. Right. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, there was one time when we had done like a big trade and I was kind of just stuck. I'm like, well, I should make the shipment a little bit more worthwhile. I need another 20, 25 pieces. He's like, well, why don't you try this, you know, Norwegian traditional jazz ska band, (laughs) you know, wild band rhythm. I said, Oh yeah, I've seen that. Like, tell me about it. You know, they would tell me, you know, and that's the funny thing is like, you know, most people probably go and just start like searching YouTube or whatever. I'm like, no, tell me about it. I want you. No, it's like, I want you to sell me on this record. Tell me, you know, what it's like, you know, I'm not going to go and I could go do that. But, you know, if you felt (laughs) that, um, you know, strongly about this to recommend it to me, I want you to sell me on it, you know? And he, you know, he, he had said such a, you know, great thing about the record. And I looked at it and I said, Oh, you know, looks cool. I'm like, tell you what, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a a bundle deal. So when people buy, what was it? I think it might've been like the Ja Jazz Orchestra or something that like all the ska nerds were like, oh my God, I can't believe this is coming. I'm waiting for you to have this. Was right? it One the of those new, kind of records. Was it the new BIM album? No, it was, it was, it was another like Brixton record. So I okay, want to say yeah, it was yeah. like, and what I said is like, okay, well, you know, to try to get people to try the Wild Man Rhythm, I'll do a bundle where like, you know, you're buying this record that you're already convinced you want to buy. Well, if you toss this in your card as well, we'll knock five or 10 bucks off, whatever it was. Yeah. And um, it was one of those things where like, I want to say like 90% of the people who were buying that one record that they were coming to me really wanting, they all tried it, you know, because it wasn't expensive. Yeah. You know, you knocked a few bucks off. And then I started getting the feedback. I started getting people who picked up that first Wild Man Rhythm record, like Chuck, this thing is phenomenal. The fact that like, you know, I got it for just a, you know, 10 bucks more or 15 bucks more, whatever it was yeah. like, you know, and you know, you rarely in this world get, you know, feedback uh, uh, like that. And it literally was <laughs> like half the copies that went out in this bundle deal, people reached out and said, this thing is great. You know, I'm like, wow. You know, that I, well, I don't, back I don't think I bought the there. bundle. Cause obviously I don't remember what you were selling it with. Because yeah, the, I don't because uh, Martin, I think, reached out to the podcast directly and yeah. was like, hey, this this record is is coming out. And I just fell in love. Well, with that's it. why when he did it, when he did the second one on their own, I'm like, hey, you know, I found people like there are people who yeah. know who you are because we did this thing with Brixton. I've, you know, restocked it three times. You know, there's, you know, 50, 60 people out in the wild who have your first record. So. Let me help you get this other one in. But it would have been a much harder, you know, road to get that second one in if the first one 
you know, hadn't been suggested to me, you know, and that I, you know, if I hadn't kind of figured out some sort of interesting sales approach to get people to try it, because, you know, that's, that's also the hard part of the world today is there's just so many reissues, you know, and it's not just like nineties or early 2000, there's so many sixties reissues, just there's so many things coming out that, you know, just sometimes push a, a new band and a new record is, you know, really difficult, you know, and you got to make it fun. I mean, that's why I'm always doing these, you know, package deals where you get you know, three records of 45, or, you know, Slipmat or Koozie or whatever the hell I made that week, you know, and it gets a lot of people to try stuff, you know, and I do my best to structure those deals. So you can't just front load it. Like I'll take this toasters record. This pie tasters record yeah. and this Memphis Copley's record. Right, you got to try cool. some veggies in there. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> you know, so it'd be like, okay, you could choose one from, you know, group A and group A has things like that because I don't want to deny people. I don't want to be the Scott Nazi, you know, but I, you know, I want people to try stuff. So it's right. like, here you go, you know, try a couple new bands. And well, okay. I want to ask about that a little, like as far as like strategy goes, uh, you know, Matt says you're an influencer. I, I'm, I'm inclined to agree <laughs> with that, but like, but in, in a sense, you're also kind of like uh, an agent, but not just for bands. Like you're an agent, like you're looking out for the label, but you're also looking out for the scene. An and, agent for like a tour. So yeah, you've been you've been doing this since before there was like a public perception of Sky. You were there through the Sky boom. Yeah. How has how has like your strategy for for hyping bands for selling records? How has that kind of shifted over over your your jump up career? The funny thing is, is as it changes, the more I want to stay the same. Uh-huh. And it's, you know, it's, it's not because I'm, you know, anti, you know, technology, but at a certain point, like, I'm not going to be, you know, dancing to my own records on TikTok. I mean, that's just, <laughs> that's just irritating to me. And it's just what it is, you know, I'm going to, you know, stay in my comfort level, you know, I'm not going to overstretch and I don't want to do anything that trivializes, you know, this, this music, you know, and, you know, that's why I think the things that irritate me the most is when people, you know, turn it into some sort of joke, you know, or meme, you Mm -hmm. know, or something that someone feels like they have to like, you know, pretend to, to, to defend. And it's not the case, you know, it's like the true ska fans never, ever were embarrassed by the music ever. You know, we never had to, you know, argue with anybody about because we only surround ourselves with people who are also (laughs) fans and believers you know and there just seems to be this really weird disconnect these days about well no there's plenty of people who never gave up on this music and i don't really understand this you know this dialogue that people the reason why i'm putting out records is because i i i like doing it i mean i'm not you know, I don't put out a record that I know is going to sell, but I don't like it. Right. I mean, that that doesn't speak to me. There's just no, there's no reason. I didn't get into doing this to just, you know, flip units and, and make money, you know. Why did you get into the Scott industry? <laughs> I didn't want to. It just happened. And I think, you know, the people who organically got sucked into it all are, you know, the people that, you know, should be, you know, commended because none of us, you know, one day, you know, set out and said, I'm going to start a label to make, 
a living out of it. I mean, I started doing those American Gothic comps because everyone was blowing off all the Midwest bands, you know? Yeah. Everyone was saying, oh, it's about New York and L.A., this and that. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. No, no. You, come on. <laughs> that's not cool. And also not yeah, true. I mean, that's, I mean, that's kind of part of what I was saying. Like, you right. single-handedly put a lot of those bands on the same level as a lot of the the, the coastal bands. Like, you yeah. elevated Midwest ska to be like, hey, everybody should be hearing this as well. And everybody yeah. started hearing it as well. No, I know. And the fact that, you know, bands like, you know, Mustard Plug and Suicide Machines are, mm -hmm. you know, still going out there and playing shows to fans. I mean, you know, God bless them, you know? Or the fact that, you know, cult bands like, you know, Slapstick are still... Right, a thing that people talk about them. I mean, you know, the, to get them on the was it on the second one? Yeah, to get, get them on the you know American Scothic, it was pulling teeth, you know, because okay. they really weren't they weren't really part of the scene. They were part of the punk world, right. and but they they knew they wanted to 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 you know be in the ska world, but it was hard to motivate them. I guess is the best way of putting it. So literally, like I would call the guys over and over again, and they said, we want to be on it, we want to be on it. And they never sent the dat, you know. We're talking the 90s, so dat tapes, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and I remember going into the studio, you know, putting together, you know, American Scathic 2. And I said, well, they said they wanted to do it. So I literally, on the way before I went to the studio, went to a, a record store and bought a clean copy of their 7-inch. <laughs> and I I pulled the track, the music from the, the vinyl for American Scottic 2. Oh, no. They never, they, ne they never got around to say, you know, you didn't send files back then, you know, right. an email. That didn't happen. Yeah. You know, and they never got around to it. But I thought it was very important for them to be on this collection, you know, that it was going to be something they would regret if they weren't. So I just did it, you know. <laughs> and you know, it's the music industry, so you know, to some extent, it's uh, the old uh, ask forgiveness, don't ask for permission right. kind of thing at right. times. And here's a perfect example. I'm like, well, you know. Well, was sure anybody that. pissed? No, they loved it. They were like, okay, thank good. you so much. You know, we couldn't, we <laughs> yeah. couldn't get anyone to get a dap to you and da 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 da, -da. Like, how did, how did it turn out? I said, I used a brand new copy that I bought at, you know, a store on the way to going to the studio. So it was clean as it gets. and. I, you know, double checked the, you know, the mastering afterwards sounded fine. And, you know, that's, you know, but it also shows that, you know, here's a band that like I actually cared enough about that I felt that them not being included would just be a travesty. You know, it just, I, I couldn't put out this comp without them being a part of it, you know? You know, but, you know, a lot of that stuff that I did then, you know, I still do now. And people, you know, sometimes look at it as, as being a little old timey. But, you know, for example, I still do CD comps all the time. They're just, right. you know, giveaways, you yeah. know. And, yeah, you, you were know, saying recently on Facebook that, that that's still kind of an important part of your... It's your, huge. Your strategy, yeah. right? I mean, a perfect example is that, you know, you're at Supernova, right? And you've got... You know, thousands of people who, you know, rented cars, drove in on their own cars. I mean, you know, if everything is 
you know, on a Spotify playlist or Apple Music or whatever, you're competing with the world. But you hand them a very cool looking CD compilation of your bands. Once the festival's over, and they have it in their you know coat pocket, whatever they put it in, and then you're yeah. not competing with anybody. I mean, sure, the, the the car needs to have a CD player, but there's enough of them <laughs> out there still, you know, that that have a CD player. Um, I listen to, you know, more albums in depth, you know, by driving around in traffic in Chicago than, you know, the amount of time I get to put a record on. I mean, yeah, man, driving is a great time to listen to an entire album. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and and it I. I still think that that works, you know, and mm-hmm. I get a lot of people, you know, who message back and they say, you know, I discovered this band from, you know, this CD comp or, you know, because, you know, it's, it's, you're not really, you know, once you have it, right. They, they ordered a record, they ordered a CD or something and you got this comp, you know, you're not competing with the world. It's like, right. Here you go. You know, this is something. And most people listen through it you know, from front to back. And a lot of people say, you know, that certain comps are ones that they couldn't stop listening to. That they go <laughs> back, they search out that comp and put it in, you know, to listen to when they're driving around. And that makes me oh, feel yeah. great because, you know, I spent a lot of time, you know, playing around with the sequencing, you know? Yeah. And if, you know, it makes me happy to listen to it, I, I'm, I'm kind of hoping that others would feel that way, but it's not a random you know, set of songs in a, you know, random order. I mean, I'm sitting there laboriously, you know, yeah. doing that, you know, because I'm going to, you know, tell myself I'm putting 3000 of these, you know, out in the world at the, you know, Scott Brewing Fest and at Supernova. And I want it to be, you know, something that you can't take out, you know, for once <laughs> it plays through, they're not like going to the next seat. They're like, you know, the first song kicks in and you already had them again. Yeah, you, know, you had them. You had them for that another 70, 80 minutes, you know, and that's very old timey thinking, you know. Let me ask you something, Chuck. Chuck, mm-hmm. uh, you mentioned a couple minutes ago about how you kind of stay the course. You keep doing the things the way you've been doing because you're only in it for Ska, the love of Ska. So you're yeah. jump, jump up started in 93, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. OK, so like 95, 96, 97. Ska's blowing up. You don't do anything different? Yeah. I think that there was more opportunities. And, you know, luckily, my entire life, I've always worked or owned uh, a music distributor. <laughs> so, you know, I was always kind of in the driver's seat. So when, a, you know, something took off, I would be like, you know, a cargo in the 90s. I was, you know, you know, working in the, in the uh, dance 12-inch department as a buyer and salesperson. But, you know, obviously all the ska was coming through there too. So, you know, I just did all the buying and, you know, the difference between say 1993 where, you know, you're trying to develop new bands and you you sell 500 or a thousand, maybe you get to 2000. Like you said, by 1995, 96, 97, everything's heating up and you have the ability to take like, for example, a hot stove, Jimmy and, you know, a bunch of Southside, you know, punk, misfit kind of kids you know playing Mm -hmm. this you know really bizarro you know hybrid ska and all of a sudden you have a the ability to actually move some real real units if you can get them in the the ska section all across you know the country and you know there's you know they had never toured really much 
prior to that salute record I put out. And, you know, I think it's like 5,500 units, which was huge, you know, something that none of us ever thought could happen. Um, And, you know, those days are, you know, come and go, you know, Uh, (laughs) there were many other records where you just sat there and scratch your head like, wow, that thing did well. But, you know, the opposite of that was there was a lot more, you know, costs involved. So you had to try to advertise more, like literally pay somebody to put a piece of film on a, you know, on a print press and then like put it in a magazine, you know? So you were, you were, you had more costs going out the door, you know? And then you had the pressure from, you know, chain stores, just like today, (laughs) except that, you know, chain stores, you know, would, would carry, you know, music land or Sam Goody or whatever they would carry like indie product, but they would order recklessly, you know, they would order way more. Yeah, and they could actually sell, and they would just dump it back on you, and that's basically what happened with you know Moon, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then all these places like overordered, and then one day when you know the balance sheet wasn't in their favor, they were you know persona non grata, you know, and you can get buried in a six month period when your type of music all of a sudden is you know no longer you know the hip new thing, and every store is like, well. See that Scott section? I want that written up by tomorrow. I want the, you know. I'm going to choose my words carefully here, but um, it's <laughs> it's interesting that the same thing that happened to Moon didn't happen to Jump Up. Well, you know, I was less exposed. So I had, you know, fewer units out there. Oh, um, also, there sense. was a couple, there were a couple, you know, saving graces with Jump Up where you know, uh, like, for example, eMusic came and said, you know, we want to sign up all these labels because, you know, digital downloading is going to be the future. I said, okay, I guess that makes sense, you know. And I took a, a ton of money from them as an advance, and it was a non-recoupable advance. So they had, mm-hmm. you know, a, they had a couple years to try to recoup it. And if they didn't, I didn't have to give them the money back, you know. <laughs> And, you know, as all like, you know, music ventures at the time, you know, it what never time really worked. I don't know. That would have been like 1997, eight oh, or something. Really? Maybe. No, no, 1999. Okay. Like okay 1999. So like 1999, someone was already coming to your label talking about downloads being the future. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And I remember that because I was way in the hole. You know, sure. <laughs> was manufacturing all this stuff, and I said, "Well, if I just take this money, I'm back at square one." <laughs> so you know, that was like so one was... time where it basically saved the day. You know, nice, right? I also did like really, really like cost saving things, like to continue putting out records. Like I, I, and I'm, I'm not joking because I had like twenty, thirty thousand pieces of overstock all of a sudden in the back of the distributor that I was running at the time, um, I looked at that and I said, well, you know, it's going to be tough to sell those, but those jewel cases, those are worth like 30, 35 cents each. Now petroleum is expensive. So I, I, I literally went five years putting out small boutique pressings of a thousand CDs, right. Supporting bands like go Jimmy go, you know, or, Deals Gone Bad kind of started to, you know, uh, play a lot in that kind of wasteland of post-90s 
you know, Scott Crash, but I, I would order the print and I would order, I mean, you know where this is going already. I would order the raw CDs and I sat there and I would shuck the old product. Yeah. And put them back together just so I could continue to, because, you know, I looked at, you know, a thousand, you know, CDs that I could reuse the jewel case as a saving 350 bucks, you know, and <laughs> I did stuff like that for like years and years and years, you know, and then I kept having sales where I could just get rid of the old stock at a dollar each, but you didn't get the jewel case, you know, and I still do that. People, there's still a thing on my website where you can get like 25 CDs for 25 bucks. You, you can stick it in a baggie? Yeah, not even. Not even? You get a, you get a rubber band. <laughs> All right. You get a bunch of loose discs. For you. But, you know, it, it, over time, you know, you sell like, you know, two or three of those every month. And, you know, 10 years ago, you sold like five or 10 every month. Eventually, you chip away at all the stuff mm-hmm. off and you Shit. get your manufacturing back. So it's 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 nitpicky stuff. And a lot of the labels that didn't make it, you know, and I don't fault them at all. They didn't want to do that shit. You know, they didn't want to do the little things that it took to survive. Right. And that's fine because you're living you know, with it. Yeah. I'm li- well, literally, it right. was literally surrounding me. I was literally living with it. But at the same time, like, you know, I wanted to be a survivor. You know, I wanted to be that guy that, you know, was still standing. And, you know, <laughs> I know that this was kind of like, you know, the, uh, you know, sure. the, the link here going into what you were wanting to talk about. But, you know, at a certain point, you know, the bands that, you know, stuck it out and were playing shows and, you know, there were new bands, you know, forming, you know, after the 90s. And, you know, we just had to rebuild everything. You know, we had to, you know, create the foundation again that everyone had, you know, had kind of crushed. You know, so for like most of like 1998 and part of 1999, you know, I was just doing jump up full time because that's when everything was super busy. Right. right. And, and you had to go for it, you know, but, you know, I'm also a realist. So when you start seeing it, you know, when you start seeing the, the, the glass ceiling start to crack, you're like, ah, um, not only am I going to not reach that glass ceiling, but it's going to, it's going to fall and cut me. So, right. uh, <laughs> um, you just started scaling back, you know, and I had gotten a, you know, because I had worked with so many stores, um, locally by literally throwing hundreds of CDs in a trunk and making a couple grand sale during the, during the heyday, you know, one of them reached out to me and said, look, I, I need help being a, you know, I need an indie buyer. And I know, you know, more than sky and punk and, you know, uh, why don't you come here and work part time? So, so I spent like two, three years just fixing a company, you know, in the early 2000s and jump up was kind of just on the side, like, oh, I got a few mail orders. Cool. Send that out. Oh, I'm, I made a thousand of this CD and it's trickling out and I'm, you know, exporting it to weird parts of the world. You know, like I would put out records and like some of my biggest markets were like Russia, Poland and Mexico, you know, yeah. you know, you were shipping things there because, well, the truth of the matter is if it's dead here, it's not dead everywhere. Right. True. Right. Yeah. I mean, you look at some of the ska punk bands that came out of England, you know, with their like most celebrated records. And those are dated like 2001, 2002, 2003, because That's right. it hadn't died there. You know, yep. it crashed here, but the rest of the world, you know, sometimes, you know, still still running with the same, you know, uh, intensity and, 
you know, they didn't have such a huge scene that it would crash. So, you know, there were a lot of good, you know, ska bands all around the world in the early 2000s. And I would import those records and they would take my records. And, you know, there's there's no there's no shame in putting out a thousand records and saying, well, 700 of those went overseas. <laughs> right. Say right. la vie. Right. You know, yeah. like, we're still finding new fans. Yeah. You know, and a, I mean, do you, you know, my whole thing was, you know, there just needed to be somebody who, who was still trying here because I think part of what happened with the nineties and ska being huge is, is not only did it bring a bunch of new fans in that didn't stick around with it, but some of those old timers that were here for years and years and years didn't like what they saw. Yeah. And they bailed. Mm-hmm. So you lost them. And the thing is those people you could get back over time. Right. Sure. As long as, you know, you did things, you know, for the right reasons, you put out good music, you know, you know, you just sort of imported interesting titles. You're like, look, I'm a ska fan, just like you, you in a way. And I get it. You know, you know what you saw in the, you know, late nineties, you didn't like it. You didn't like what was happening, you know, and that's fine. It turned you off. Well, come back. It's time to come back now because you know, all those people that bothered you are gone, you know, <laughs> and the people who, oh, and the people who are left are true Scott fans. Uh-huh. Now, I'm not saying true Scott fans as a, as a, this, this style of Scott over that style of Scott, like the people who were listening to Scott in the early 2000s were true Scott fans. And it took a while. It took a while to get, you know, people interested in it again. And then eventually, you know, there was enough bands at one point uh, that I saw and, and, and bucket, you know, who was still touring. Right. Mm-hmm. And that was the greatest thing about, you know, the still standing comp was that, you know, it was the two of us just feeding off each other's notes, you know? Right. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not getting out there and seeing the bands as much, but I'm, you know, more readily available, you know, because I was an active label and I get people would send me tracks and yeah. all this stuff, but, but bucket would actually go see these bands. Right. So, you know, he you, would, you've got all he your would, bases covered between the two of you. Yeah. So he's like, oh, yeah, we just played with this band in this, you know, part of the town. I, you know, I didn't try to think of one. You know, oh, we're in Canada. We played with the Barrymores. You know, they were a really good band. We saw them like, oh, they sent me their CDEP. I thought it was great. Like, let's use them. And it was, you know, I know Jeremy also patently was jumping in as well because he was, you know, kind of like me, you know, just sort of you know, getting demos and listening to stuff. And this was before they had started, you know, Megaleth. You know, this was like them, you know, uh, licking their chops post-moon, but were still, you know, still had the, the the intensity in their head to like, I want to do something again. It just needs to be a couple years and we need some sort of litmus test to show that it's worthwhile. And I think, you know, the still standing comp was was that test where, you know, People loved it. You know, people still to this day tell me like, oh, my God, you know, that Boston's version on your still standing comp was different than the one account. Like it was. <laughs> I don't remember any of this stuff, you know, because, you know, a, a, a four CD compilation, they have like 80 bands. I mean, literally, you get to a point where you're like, too much ska. <laughs> right. <laughs> too much <laughs> but, ska. You know, for all the for all the bands that were on it and got copies to sell, you know, it, it was it was inspiring you know it's like oh my god you know people were discovering each other again you know and part of the reason 
why it was a crazy four CD set is, you know, the way I looked at it is like as much as it doesn't make any sense business wise, right? <laughs> it made sense because you just needed that wow factor. I was talking to somebody about like, well, sometimes you need to throw more pizzazz and money at something, even though, you know, you feel like, oh, it doesn't make sense. I'm already spending way too much. Sometimes you have to put more money into it to get people like really excited. So you make like a, a crazy box set or you include, you know, like, for example, you know, there's a St. Louis reference when we did the, the scholars reissue, you know, I included a pencil and eraser set. <laughs> I mean, nothing that costs a lot of money, no, but it's like just swaggy. like, did I, did I have to do it? No. The number of people who like ordered this and it was like, did I get the pencil eraser? Did I get the pencil eraser? Like it got them like <laughs> super jazzed, you know? That's crazy. Um, yeah, that's a cool, but sometimes, that's a cool but sometimes it's like you have to throw more money at it. So like, I remember seeing uh, an interview once with, um, with Peter Butterwolf and he was talking about uh, Dan Funk and he was basically saying like, well, you know, no one would, you know, care about a contemporary, like, you know, 80s funk band, you know. And what he did is, like, their very first release was some crazy box set. Just because it's like, <laughs> well, if Stone's Throw thinks that this is, you know, worth a, a huge box set, that I should be paying attention to it. So you just sort of reverse the whole thing. It's like, right. no one does this for a debut record, you right. know. So you this front, is going to work. You front load the value. Well, that, that reminds me that the story of like Grey Goose is that they they're just like, oh, well, if we charge more, people will think it's better. <laughs> and premium vodka a, was invented. That was um, the, perfu the perfume, uh, you know, mentality, right? Yeah. No one buys a cheap perfume. But I, I want to backtrack a little and and ask about your your taste a little bit and how that how that influences uh your decision making like you seem like a pretty prudent business guy but mm -hmm. you seem to be pretty willing to roll the dice on some some bands oh yeah so what, you know. what are you thinking i and i wondered this for years man what are you thinking when you listen to a demo what are you thinking when you listen to a record what's your process because you're not thinking about putting it on the radio like i do you're not thinking about like what's this? What 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 songs can I cherry pick for my use? Like you're you're judging them on a much grander level. Yes, and then that's why sometimes just hearing one or two songs, I can't get my head around it. It's not enough, you know, because you know I'm pushing, you know, albums. I'm I'm you know making people listen, you know, long long listens, not short listens, not two minute video cover songs you know, to get clickbait. It's, I, I'm looking for someone to put a, <laughs> a record on and not only do you have to give them a good 20 to 26 minutes on one side, you gotta do it again on the other side, you know? And most bands don't get to that point for years. Yeah. You know, and there's a lot of bands that I put out records that um, I didn't like them at the beginning or I didn't think they were ready, you know? Okay. And they might've been so um you know excited to send me something and really wanted the feedback i'm like dude you're just not ready i mean you know <laughs> eventually when you are you'll know it because i'll be chasing you down <laughs>
I'm always going to be probably the biggest cheerleader for the records and bands that I put out, you know, uh, outside of the band members themselves, you know. And uh, I, I think it's that kind of passion that, you know, most labels should, should you know, run. Um, for real. And I think the ones that, you know, today have, you know, survived all this time or are successful today, they're, they're, you know, they're dreamers first and businessmen second, you know, and you hope that the, the business side is, you know, uh, managed well enough that you can keep the dreaming side to, 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 to fuel that, you know, being successful. But, you know, a lot of times some of the best companies in the world, whether it's music labels or whatever, you know, they were dreamers. There were people who didn't ever think, you know, could this fail? They never once thought that. They just said, well, if I don't try, you know, I'll never fail. So it's just like, you just, you just do it, you know? Um, Did you feel that right there? That was the capper that? right there. Wow, that's the capper? Okay. <laughs> um, so we, yeah, but I also wanted to get Chuck in on our listener feedback segment too because uh, there's a couple things that uh, I, I would like his opinion on as well. Yeah. Listener feedback? What, you took questions ahead of time? No, we're always, we have a hotline, so we're always taking questions <laughs> and comments <laughs> and complaints. Wait, do you? Oh, for real. We literally do, yeah. Real hotline? Yeah. Yes, we have an actual, like, phone number with an area code and all of that. Listener feedback is a segment where you, the listener, get the chance to speak your mind, offer corrections, and otherwise join the conversation. If you want to submit feedback to the show, find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or leave us a message on the HornPod hotline. Dial 16 HornPod 15. That's 16, I don't know, HornPod 15. I don't, I'm not. <laughs> wow. The numbers. Uh, we've got some voicemails. Yeah. So, uh, the first one here, I don't know how much we need to even comment on is, is from, uh, our man, Rich Graco. <laughs> Matt, JJ, Rich Graco here. Uh, I don't want to tell you how to do your jobs, but, um, we're going to need some more episodes soon. All right. All right. Hope you guys are well. Thanks. <laughs> oh, wow. I forgot about this one. <laughs> so, uh, I love that guy. I'm very honored that 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 he's eagerly awaiting the next episode. Uh, you know, what, what I love about what I love about Rich is is that he is focused when he wants to 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 you yeah, know, put out a record, and he's very like he's not going to put out something half ass. He's you meticulous, know? And, and I'm pretty much just going to back him on whatever he does. <laughs> you know, I, I, I you know I, I, don't just, like I think that's him. our stance too. I mean, I don't yeah, I, show my I, hand. I, I, you know, whatever he brings me, I'm going to do my best to, to put it out there in the world. And nice. And, um, I've already told Rich that he's my favorite trumpet player in the entire genre. And and having yeah. already said that, uh, it's an honor to have him as a heckler. <laughs> and, you know, the thing is, like, you know, on paper, like, for example, putting out a bunch of instrumental jazz guy records isn't like, you know, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. But like. His records are so fantastic, you know, that I tell mm -hmm. him, like, look, I'm here for the long haul. If, you know, if I press 500 of a record and it takes three to five years, who cares? As long as I eventually find homes for all those records. And, oh, man, nice. You know, 
I, I sell them all the time. You know, we sold a couple at the Slacker Show last night. It's, you know, it's a death by a thousand cuts. You know, you're just like, I'm just going to keep finding new people to cut, you know, with your record. Which could go with a knife that you wield. Right, exactly. <laughs> Uh, I just want to tell you that Rich and I have been talking about doing some kind of collaboration where I write some songs and the attractors are the backing band. So I guess I guess I know what label they're coming out of. Wow, all right, there you go. (laughs) How you like just fucked you there, huh? (laughs) We got Ah, some cassettes for you. I I, I snuck in (laughs) (laughs) Oh no Get that commitment get that commitment from Rich and then he's just Right. right up. Exactly right. <laughs> Got an angle. You get one shot at it. You know, snuck, and, snuck in the back door and jump up. That's how I do. <laughs> and so we've got another voicemail. Yes. Oh yeah, we got one from our uh, from our often uh, from our repeat caller uh, DJ Nuxy, who opened Whoa. for uh, for the Slackers last night, Very nice. uh, doing a little DJ set there Very in St. Nice. Louis. Uh, so yeah, here's his call. Hey, uh, Matt and JJ, this is DJ Nuxie from St. Louis. This one's about the compilation episode you guys did. Um, I, I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. Um, the compilations, the compilations were very important to me. Very, very important to me. As a blossoming young man, <laughs> getting into scout music, and uh, I loved hearing about the mashing up the nation. Um, that was my first uh, Scott compilation. I loved hearing about Give Them the Boot. Um you guys, you guys eloquently uh, described the, the, the amazingness and genius of that compilation. Um, I, I totally agree. Um, the one I wanted to uh, also mention two other things. So one, Scarmageddon Volume Two. Um, oddly enough, for some reason, I think Scarmageddon One was uh, a little ahead of my time, and Scarmageddon Two was really important to me. I always appreciate Matt Wixon's reference and uh, appreciation and nod to the the, the local public. Uh, public library system, the Detroit library system, I guess it'd be called, um, because I too am a big giant library kid, and I got into a lot of my Scott music from the Snowless Public Library. Um, and so, this is not a household name, it's not one that impacted a lot of American kids, but if you ever met another American who's really into the late 80s, early 90s European ska, ask them if they ever listened to Don't Call Me Scarface volumes one through three i bet you they might have come across this cd set i found it at my library um it's a three cd set nice big you know big big whatever box set thing and it's got awesome songs on there um like king hammond um potato five mark fago the riff judge dread bad manners arthur k is one of my favorite ska musicians and and I guarantee it's because of this compilation. Um, but I know I'm kind of an oddball and not the norm for being into those bands. So I, I, I give credit to uh, this Don't Call Me Scarface volumes one through three. Look it up. Props to Don't Call Me Scarface and props to the St. Louis Public Library System as well as the Detroit Public Library System because they had an impact. All right. Talk to you guys later. Bye. And this is a bit where I really wanted your input, Chuck. He's a big fan of the Don't Call Me Scarface volumes one through shoot 80s wow. European oh. kind of. Yeah, thing. Were, wow. I don't even remember what label put those out. Do you don't remember them at all? Or I mean, I'm sure like they had every European revival band on it. It's been a while. So, what are your feelings about that kind of like um, that kind of post two tone 
vibe. Me, were you, were just, you into it at the let time? Let me throw some context oh, yeah. in here real quick. The label is sure. Dressed to Kill, year is 1996. Oh, yeah, one of those uh, yeah licensing labels. Yeah, they would just license everybody, send everyone $100 and get you on a comp. And there were many of those back in the day, many Italian ones. <laughs> so there was a point where I had comp fatigue. <laughs> um, and that was probably the same time that all the stores had comp fatigue too. Sure. Um, you know, every comp had to be $4.99 or less. And uh, <laughs> then I started to like, I, I, I'm out. This is just, <laughs> getting, this is getting to be too much. Like now you want me to basically give you the music for free? Is that what's going to happen in the future? Well, oh. I guess so, huh? All right. <laughs> <laughs> I remember like once doing the math on a, I might have won one of those Smasher radio comps and I went through it with it in the end and I had done the math and I said after all the billbacks and advertising and everything I lose a quarter for every CD I sell is that correct like, yeah 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 that is correct actually. <laughs> god and, like, and I want to do this why and like well it's advertising I'm like okay and then I did it you know and you know uh they'll put like 2500 or 5000 of these stupid things out there and you you're literally hemorrhaging money but you hope that that comp would get in some kid's hand and they'll buy the full lengths and you know i still in the end of the day don't think it worked but you know we all believed it would um because it worked for fat it worked for epitaph it worked for all those you know hopeless it worked for all those labels but those labels had you know, bigger rosters and. But wait, and, you're and saying you just said that you're still giving away free CD comps. Like, I am. Got to be working out somehow, right? It is working out now, but now I know that I'm actually giving it away. Oh, okay, like, yes. Now you're you know, aware. Okay. Like, but with that said, uh, if it wasn't for comps like Mashing Up the Nation or you know NYC Ska, you know, or the Boston ones, you know the. Uh, mashing up the nation uh-huh. and you know, all those, you know, California Skyquakes. I mean, a lot of us wouldn't have, you know, learned about these bands. I mean, you know, Man, my man. wife isn't my wife isn't a huge ska fan, and I applaud her for that. Um, <laughs> but she knows every song on California Skyquake because <laughs> she yeah. had it. Yeah, it was a good one. Comps meant something to people; like they really got listened to. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm trying to bring them back, you know, and freebies to promote the label, but thanks for the call. Yeah. Thank you for the call, Nexi. <laughs> yeah. The Scott Cannon is a segment where we three Scott aficionados decide which albums will be accepted by all future Scott scholars as key to shaping the ongoing definition of Scott. Oh yeah. I, I had to prepare. I had to prepare something. No, Oh no, no. You just have oh. to go along with us. Oh, In okay. fact, um, it's kind of a unique uh, thing we're doing tonight. We, we've invited other people to help vote on the Scott Cannon before, but you mm-hmm. have a bit of a biased um, yeah, position on, yeah. on this one here. I really want your, your input. So we were, we were going to talk <laughs> about the still standing record that you did in collaboration oh, yeah, yeah. With, with Megalith. Yeah. When was that? 2003? 2003. We can all agree up front, like, we're all going to vote this into the Scott Cannon. We don't have to worry about that. We just want to discuss it. 
<laughs> that's all. That's ultimately why why stuff. we're letting you in. It's because how? Awful. What are you gonna do? Say no? <laughs> He's like, yeah. I, honestly, fuck that record, and I'm not gonna talk to you about it. <laughs> oh boy, let's bring back logistical memories. All right, so Chuck's looking at the <laughs> the liner notes right now. What what are you thinking? I'm thinking. What was I thinking? Let's let's start with the name actually. Who whose idea was still standing? I kind of feel like that was Bucket's idea. Well, no, actually, you know what it was? It was I think I came up with the name, but he came up with the idea for it to be uh, Stonehenge. Stonehenge. Yeah. Like the artwork. timeless. But you know, I like with most titles and everything that I do, like there's never like really one person who comes up with it. It's like vibing for a while. And then all of a sudden, in that like playback of fourth, with you know, talk to somebody, the idea comes up. Okay, so, so, you know, I know so through, that a, through a series of uh, focus groups and uh, Facebook yes, advertisements, right? right. Uh, That's you, act, you, you, come up, you come up with the the perfect title. Yeah, a lot of direct mail. <laughs> yeah. direct mail. What you know what does what does still standing mean to you? Like when when you decided on that title, what did it mean? What did, what what was it saying about this collection of songs? <laughs> I mean, well, besides I, like the I obvious, kind of forgot, you know? I've kind of forgot some of the stuff I I did here. This is very me. Uh so I <laughs> I wrote these niner lo- these liner notes and it literally says here in bold like at the top, which you're looking at as well, maybe it says, please don't call it a fourth wave. <laughs> <laughs> That's like in huge bold print at the top. And this, I think this was like it was, just it was, as Street Late Manifesto was releasing their first album. And we're still talking right. about a fourth wave. And we are still fighting about wave theory terminology <laughs> on this comp in 2003 because it was. You know, basically uh, a comp with, you know, 80 plus bands and most of them had outlasted, you know, uh, the 90s. A lot of big names on here, you know, obviously Toasters and Boston's and Mustard Plug and Pie Tasters and Bim Scalabim, Slackers, blah, blah, blah. But then, you know, they were paired up with, you know, a lot of bands that kind of came into their own after, you know, Ska had, you know, full on crashed and burned in the mainstream eyes and like you said the whole fourth wave debate still you know infuriates me to this day you know <laughs> won't you come and spend some time with me the sun needs earth and moon to see you know this comp was great because you know like i said we 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 wanted to wow everybody Whoa. and at the time I had taken over that distributor, so I was a little bit better off financially. And, uh, you know, I had my distributor banking because, you know, we still had, you know, lots of stores that we could get this into and we kept it cheap. And even though a lot of the stores are like, well, we don't really have a Scott section anymore, but this looks interesting. I mean, it's four CDs and it's pretty cheap, so we'll give it a shot, you know, and it worked, you know, and even, you know, alternative press at the time, like, 
literally wrote a big feature on it just because when they got a four CD set, they're like, what the hell? We thought it was gone. <laughs> so, and I think, you know, to any journalist, you know, you pick up liner notes and it says, please don't call it fourth wave. They're like, what? Okay. I'm listening now. You know, right. And so, then I okay. Did that come of, from a place where were you mad that it was a wave? I'm always mad. Right. Right. Oh, I'm always mad. Were you mad that it crashed? Were you mad that <laughs> it was a wave? All the time. Um, yeah, I'm sure I was, you know, I remember when it all kind of crashed and I was sort of just re-getting my footing and everything. You know, there was a, a, a period of a few years where I was like, well, you know, I had built the brand. Maybe I can do other things with the brand, you know. So I put out, you know, a soul record here. I put out that Porter's record, you know, Parker King's yeah. post band. that was more of a soul, like Dexie's kind of band and you know, things I liked, you know, things I was into. And I had hoped that, you know, the taste making of, the sky era i could like turn people on to other things that i liked and eh, it wasn't really the case you know people were pretty much stuck in their um in their mindset you know and then you talk about the early 2000s and uh i always i look back at it now as the point where everyone put out their uncomfortable non-sky album uh, yeah and mm -hmm. um, i wanted to be there for my bands so when they delivered those uncomfortable non-Sky albums, I tried to put them out, you know? I never said no. But, you know, I was trying to, you know, diversify a little bit. And I think I was, at that point, a little bit bummed. And I still remember the day to, this, to, this, to, the, to the minute where I had the clarity of where the direction was. And I've, I've told the guys in the band multiple times, and I still think I'm psycho because it's, you know, one of those like touchy feely, kumbaya, teary kind of things. But we went on a tour in California with Deals Gone Bad. And we were playing, you know, up and down the coast. And we had this gig with a band we had never heard of before. Um, and with the name of the band, we assumed that we were seeing a, a like a third wavy punk ska band that we had never heard of. And uh, the band was Go Jimmy Go. <laughs> so we we get there and we see these guys and we're like, oh, they're from Hawaii. Okay. And they're like, oh, they must be like the Tantra Monsters or something, you know, kind of like really <laughs> snazzy kind of stuff. And, you know, I love those bands. Oh, don't yeah. get me wrong. Um, but they're not them. But that's what we thought we were, that's what we thought we were into or in for. And uh, it was at a bowling alley in San Diego and these guys set up. And then literally from the first song, we were just like, what the fuck? These guys are so good. What the hell is going on? And it just like made deals of like, we got to like bring it, you know? And it <laughs> huh. just made, and I sat there and when I saw Go Jimmy Go, and I sat there, I'm like, I've, I've got it all wrong. I'm like, it's not that I need to diversify what I put out on Jump Up. That was you know, an interesting experience and it kind of failed, but now I have the clarity, like what I need to do to stay relevant is to go and release records from the most traditional bands that are out there today. Because if I do that, which obviously I'm more passionate about on, on you know, most given days, but if I do that, I can get the fans that disappeared to come back. The core. Like all the people, 
all the people who are irritated about what American Scott had become, you know, will come back if I find the Go Jimmy Goes of them. Fascinating. Yeah. And I went to the because that is like, that is the kind of stuff that kept. And I, I I don't mean to speak for Matt, but I think kept like guys like the both of us really exactly. Yeah. yeah. But I, I it was the clarity of seeing them play like in the small and just like nailing it. And I sat there and I literally just it made sense to me. I it was like you know the you know the light coming from the through the church window. You're like, oh, I'm like, this JJ, did is you how, this is it. I've got it all wrong. It's now clear. And I just went on a tear. You know, I just put out records by like, you know, Firebug in Brazil, you know. Yes. I did the I did the after hours projects with all the yes. LA guys, you know, mm. and just all these records. And it just, everything just brought people, every time I put another record like that out or pressure cooking, you know, from Boston. Absolutely. Every time I doubled down, on the traditional sounds, more people came out of the hidey holes and I recognized the name as doing mail orders again. And, you know, people were like, it was like safe to come out of the bunker, I guess, you know? And I just did that, you know? And I guess that's probably how I got mostly, you know, labeled slash pigeonholed a, a you know, a traditional Scott label because at that point, that's what I was doing, right? Yeah. There were bands all around the world that, you know, played various forms of traditional ska and reggae or, and, and, and I was chasing them down. I was, and then I was chasing down, you know, labels that had like-minded ideas. So I would, you know, import, you know, copies from like St. Petersburg ska jazz ensemble and, and, you know, you know, this Spanish band and this and that, and I would just chase, you know, Polish bands. I would just chase them all down, you know, and that's kind of how, you know, I, I was able to get, I think, some of the old guard that had disappeared, you know, to come back. Like also, That's also like, kind hey. of the groups that were still there to pick from, too. Exactly, yeah. And a lot of them obviously made it on the, the still standing comp. But the still standing comp, I think, to its, its uh, you know, longevity all these years later, is I didn't just do that. You know, I found plenty of good punky ska bands or two-tony bands or, you know, yeah, I mean, right. this, this comp is still diverse, you know? Absolutely. Diverse. And I got to say, like, it's back in 2003, and I'm hearing stuff that reminds me a lot more of where the scene is going to go than, than, yeah. than like, throwback to the 90s. Like, right. I'm hearing Irie Beats. I didn't know that song was, I, 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 mm -hmm. I know an instrumental cut of that. I didn't know that was mm -hmm. way back 2003, Cold Spot 8. Conscious oh, yeah. Youth. Right. yeah. Did you ever realize that what you had, had assembled with this list of bands was kind of a phone book. I mean, without the contact information really, but like these are the bands in North America. There are 88 ska bands you can yeah. get in touch with as a musician yep. to network with. Yep. To yep. Like, It was amazing. Cause it was one of those things where everyone was on the same page. Like I, 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 I mean, I literally don't think I waited more than a day for this Boston track. I mean, yeah, I, that's I, awesome. sent a, I sent a message. I don't remember who it was. And it was just like there. They're like, we want to be in on it. We would love, this is where we came from. Yeah. We understand that, you know, people like you are going to help us, you know, rebuild the foundation. You know, mm -hmm. people like Bucket, we're all in. You're like, here's a track. Like, just send us some CDs. I mean, you can't even get away with that anymore. You know right. what I mean? <laughs> you know, but literally at that time, everyone's like, no, this this is important. This makes sense. You know, here's your track. Just send us some CDs, you know. It was summertime. 
very big compilation came out in 2003. And in 2005 mm -hmm. is when I personally started playing my own music live and started touring mm -hmm. in 2006. So like this was all like yeah. pretty fresh in my memory. And I yeah. started running into a lot of bands that I had only known from this compilation. And like, oh, awesome. and it was like, for me, it was like, oh my God, you are part of the still standing thing. Like that's an important part of like my sky experience right now. <laughs> and that's so awesome. like, and it wasn't even like, so it was like a band, like, like Taj Motel Trio, you know, like not, not like a big band they're by great. any means, but like, and they're also still around still and they've always been good. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, like that's a band, like mm -hmm. timeless pick like that, that, like if anybody was ever going to mm -hmm. go through this list and be like, oh, why'd you pick this band? Like, eh, did you really need to put Tri-State Conspiracy on there? But like Tosh Motel Trio fucking slammed up. <laughs> like, and who would have, like, yeah. I don't think anybody would have assumed that at the time. But like running into some of these bands, right, even, right, right. like like Eastern Standard Time is a band I absolutely adore. Found them on this comp. Same with Rudy Crew mm -hmm. right after them on the second disc. Like I played oh, yeah. a show in mm -hmm. New Jersey with Rudy Crew, and I was so excited to hear the song from this compilation. <laughs> like this, this meant. And I remember, a lot like to I me. remember the afterbeat. Yeah, I remember the afterbeat song. Yeah. I mean, that was really good. The afterbeat, yeah, song. I like that a lot. And uh, I should re-listen to this. I'm gonna put this in my car. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> I guess gonna, I was kind of surprised that the the four disc, like the size of it, was was your idea, Chef. I mean, yeah. You know, the funny thing is, is like you know, every time I tell that Peter Butter Wolf story, you know, for years I would tell, and people were like, well, that's what you did with Still Standing, wasn't it? I'm like, oh, I guess it was. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really think about it at the time, but I'm like, yeah. I mean, I was just trying to just, you know, no one's going to pay attention You're to You're trying to make an impression. A two CD comp because there was millions of those, you know, maybe three. I remember at one point thinking like, well, you, know, you could do three. But if you're going to do three, why don't just do four? <laughs> no one I does mean, four. That's sound logic to me. Three is only one way. Three is only one away from Scarmageddon. So is it really that impressive? Right. Come on. But four <laughs> is twice the Scarmageddon. <laughs> I went all in. I remember like sitting in a mastering house in Chicago because, you know, we're trying to level all the tracks. I mean, you've got 88 bands from 88 different studio sources sent to you in so many different formats with so many different quality, you know, and it was just like, oh, I, I, I think I was in a mastering studio on and off for like 18 hours. You know, That's just... That's it? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was, a, it was a great, great record. And, um, you know, what was kind of fun is I rebuilt to some extent the, um, uh, the mail order uh, overnight based upon it. So what I did was I told all these bands, I said, look, you know, obviously a four CD comp, but you're not going to get a ton of comp. You're going to get like 10 comps. But, yeah. you know, you're a ska band, so that's like one per member. So <laughs> I want every band to at least have like 10 or 15 to sell on their table, maybe even more. So if you've got a release, I'll swap. 
And I remember like when this comp came out, I was just sending so many of the band. I just had like copies of every band's like EP or full. I mean, just, you know, <laughs> independently pressed CDs. Right. And I just had them everywhere. I had like 50 of this band, 30 of this band. I just like, if you had it, I wanted it. Like if you were on here, I was going to do my best to try to sell your full length at the same time uh, in my mail. Because you want to back it up. I do want to back it up. Right. I want people like, I really like that track. Oh shit, I can go back and get it from Jumbo, you know, but I also wanted to make it easy because, you know, I know people knew that, you know, if they sent me money, it would go in an envelope and show up there, you know? Right. Sometimes when you did that with a band, it wouldn't happen, you know? So, you know, the confidence level of life. I love this band. Hey, Jump Up's got the CD in stock. You know, it's cheap. I'm just going to order it from them. But I was also able to take all these bands, take their CDs and export them to all the places that, you know, were a little bit stronger for ska. So, and, uh, so it really moved the needle, kind of. It really did move the needle. And I was able to, like, all of a sudden, like, you know, like slam it on, on mail order all over again. You know, it was, you know, I was always doing okay, but you know, when all of a sudden you had just that many new titles coming in at once, it was, it was, it was awesome. It was good for everybody, you know? And when you were able to get all that kind of stuff, you really felt like something was going on, you know? And then, you know, when they would get the CD and, Oh, is this our fourth wave? Like, Oh no, right here. Chuck says there's not a fourth <laughs> <laughs> Were there any bands that you had to like convince to be on it? No. No? Not really. Slackers a little bit. A little bit? Ooh. A little bit. They needed because a little... of because of Bucket? Oh. <laughs> I thought there were not supposed to be any gotcha questions. Oh, I didn't mean I didn't mean the gotcha. Sorry. <laughs> um, we can take that we can take that off record too if you want. No, no, you can no. You, you every great label is gonna have baggage associated with it. Okay. Uh -huh. And time heals most wounds, okay? This was only 2003. So the wounds for a lot of people couldn't fully heal. Um, I would say, you know, at this point, you know, most people could be cordial with each other. Um, but, you know, the people who are dreamers, you know, don't always get everything right. You know, uh, the people who are good businessmen don't always get everything right. The Slackers took a little bit of convincing. I'll, I'll, I'll you know, be honest with that. And... You know, I was the guy. I said, look, you know, I could put this comp out and I could just not have you guys on it. But the fact of the matter is it would be incomplete. It would be a, uh, it, it would be not an actual accurate representation, you know, of the concept of still standing. So, you know, I went back in and asked multiple people in the band. I said, I want you to reconsider. You know, I'm asking you to reconsider. Um, if you need more copies, you know, that I had offered, just let me know. But I, I can't take no. <laughs> yeah. And eventually they said, okay, you're right. You know, I understand what you're trying to do. You know, we've always been cool with you. You know, the world is, you know, not a perfect place. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be on it, you know. Um, but that was the only one that was kind of like, well... We're not completely at a point where we want to play nice, nice. You know, I'm like, I get it. You know what? Play nice, nice with me. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, and you know what's beautiful about you know, 
you know, time healing all wounds, basically. It's like, you know, think about it. It's like, you know, Jump Up owes a lot of its early success to Moon. I mean, not only as a blueprint on how to do things, but, you know, by someone who promoted toaster shows in like 1989 and eventually put out records. I mean, whenever I had a question, a general question, what should I do? What do you think? I mean, Bucket always took the time to give me an honest answer, you know, and there definitely were times, you know, back in the day where, you know, we got into arguments because, you know, it was a heated time. Everyone was kind of like, you know, out for their, but their own, you know, and I still remember an uncomfortable time when I told them that my records couldn't be chain distributed by Moon anymore, that I was doing a, a deal with uh, R.E.D. Sony, and I got an earful, you know? <laughs> you know, eventually, you know, he understood. You know, he was right. mad at the time and told me what how he felt, and that's the way business is. <laughs> that, you know, you let people know how you really feel, you you say what you have to say, but in the end of the day, you know, you gotta just sort of respect somebody who's trying to just grow their brand themselves as well, you know? And uh, you know, I don't even know where this discussion was going, but that's kind no, of- No, I love it. No, I'm, I, we love bucket stories on this show. So I, I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's a really yeah. nice bucket story. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and you know, I've been like, you know, one that every so often is, you know, try to be one of his biggest cheerleaders. Like, oh, come on, put out some new music. Come on. Yeah, it's great to hear. Like, I'll put it out. I'll put it out. You know, I'll just, I'll do it. I'll just do it. I don't even need to hear it. Give me a new album. I'll just help <laughs> him put it out there. Just whatever, you know. So, um, hey, Matt. Yeah. Do you, do you have any uh, standout tracks on Still Standing? Uh, Well, what I wanted to mention was I think that this hub city stompers song is their very first song oh right yeah it's it's almost like a statement like a thesis statement yeah that was their like debut right yeah well it's a it's a inspector seven song right 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 they took their name from but yeah that was the that was that was their yes that was their first that was the debut of the hub city stompers was the song that's right wow yeah i forgot about that Other than that, like, I mean, there there are, st- like, I already mentioned Superficial Fish by Rudy Crew. Uh, uh-huh. Just because I, <laughs> that song just is, like, the tempo, the tightness of that band, man. Uh, <laughs> I remember being very impressed at this point by a series of CDRs that Jay Bonner was sending me. Obviously pre-Agrolites and pre- you know everything oh, else. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, because he sent me the CDR, and then from that came this Ashraman and Dub Street Rockers and this Vessels track. So I mean, that's basically you know the blueprint of of the Agrolites, right? Right. I mean, that's that's that organ heavy skinhead reggae sound that you know we didn't really see coming as being the next sort of progression right. in well, the I mean, music. Like- in, in that sense, and in a couple of other ways, like this kind of seems to have laid out the the groundwork for what the future of the ska scene became, really. Yeah. Like, looking back on this, like, I don't know how, how it looks to you, but, like, a lot of this stuff was, like, 
it was spot on at the time and it was like bands that have since become big influences on today's ska scene yeah on your fun time like you knew that we would hit the stop on your sunshine and don't it feel good you know you jumped up and you get the night of truth you follow with the fickle I never had any doubt that this thing wasn't gonna do well and as, as psycho as that is for 2003 I remember making the, the initial order of CDs I was ordering the the, the crazy bad for the environment four CD you know butterfly cases on my own you know and just putting them together but I remember ordering these from uh, uh, a CD manufacturer broker and I remember placing the order he's like okay wait a minute you want 2500 <laughs> four CD sets of a Scott con <laughs> like yeah he's like okay <laughs> and the CD did a great you know and it still yeah. trickles out like I said and you know, I don't have that many. I feel like I'm down to the last ream of each CD. Wow. This means it's got to be like less than 150, you know. And people are discovering it all, you know, all the time, you know. And it seems like every time, you know, we kind of do one of these, you know, looking back at, you know, the, the comp, all of a sudden people like start ordering it again or, yeah. or I do a giveaway like we're going to do. And people are like, oh, man. I, I love that you are taking the the long tail, the the almost like epic length approach to to your ska business. Hero's journey. Hero's journey. <laughs> I mean, like seriously, you, you've got you've got the thousand mile stare on this thing, you know? Like I mean, I've got all the time in the world. I mean, right. I'm here for the long haul. I'm like, you don't need to worry about it. Like a good amount have gone out the door, but I'm not going anywhere. And a lot of times people buy stuff, you know, the first week that we're all in on, you know, they're really just like following Scott, everything that's going on, they're ready and they're ready to buy on the day it comes out. But that is a small fraction of the potential sales of any record. The truth of the matter is most people eventually get around to buying something they like, just eventually. Yep. And you just got to have a steady hand, you know? You just got to keep having things in stock, you know? And I don't have a problem with making 500 or 600 records or whatever it is and just watching it trickle out every week, you know? So people who are nervous, like, oh, the first week sales, like, you know, oh, it was a perfect example. Like, oh, the Mr. Kingdom record. It's selling great. It mm -hmm. slow and steady wins the race. But I remember John was all nervous, like, how the first week sales go? I'm like, dude, you know, it doesn't matter to me. I'm like, it was good. <laughs> like, what you do is you offer them a, a good record at an affordable price. They're like, we have some black vinyl. We have some blue vinyl. Okay, quit trying to sell records. Let's get back right. to this here. Which yeah, one so. do you want? You know, but <laughs> I'm going to vote yes on this compilation going into the Ska Cannon. Uh, oh, yeah, I yeah. think uh, yes. I think it's gonna be a yes for me too. I don't I don't love everything on it, but I think that that is also uh, uh, gonna happen with 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 any Scott compilation you get, right? <laughs> of course. So, I mean, uh, and there's like eight. How many did you say I have on it? There's eight, 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 eight tracks. Eight, eight yeah, tracks. If you liked, yeah, if if you liked every one of these, you would have 
Yeah. <laughs> you would have. Yeah, I've, uh, I've listened to it a few times toes. recently, and yeah. I uh, I really I really like a lot of stuff on here, and I really like what it represents. And then to find out that it's that it's like so important to uh, to rallying these groups, to rallying the scene at the time, and it just yeah. like we're we're all about putting in the important stuff. And this sounds this sounds super super goddamn important. So so it's a big <laughs> yes for me. Yeah, like of of all the records that came out all the Scott albums that came out in the early 2000s, like this seems like the singular one that was like, like it single-handedly tied the whole ska scene together, at least like in North America. Uh, Cause these are um, North American bands. <laughs> but we started this segment uh, calling us three Scott aficionados, which means Chuck, you also get a vote. Even though it's it's currently two votes, yes, you 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 can vote, and I, I have a feeling how you might vote. Wait, vote this in? Of course, yeah. I would. Yes, of course you would. Okay, so that's I mean, that's, that's a unanimous uh, three up. So the 2003 four CD compilation, still standing, a North American ska uprising from Jump Up Records and Megalith Records. <laughs> It is no. in the Scott Cannon. Uh, Chuck, thank you so much for for spending so much time with us tonight. Sure, Man, for yeah, real. Like you, you, you've it, been you've been a big part of this whole thing. Like this. Are whole you sure thing. people are gonna listen to this? Uh, like, oh, no, I'm not so sure, but yeah, I loved it. Whether you like it or not, you are an influencer. You are a okay. tastemaker. You are a kingmaker, even. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, <laughs> and. Well, okay, I'm done with all of that shit. Uh, no, like you, you have, you've got such a an interesting perspective, especially like on on like with this comp and with like the kind of the blossoming and the withering of the American boom. Uh, like you've kind of sure. seen seen the entire thing through, and like yeah. that's that's an and from a business perspective, like dealing with the bands, like you've been very like front and center for the whole thing in a way like a lot of people aren't and right. I, I, mean, I appreciate you know, your perspective you know I, I stuck it out and there was never a year where i didn't put out a handful of scott releases and i didn't take decades off and come back so you know here i am you know i don't think i ever record. played an episode of sky's the limit where i didn't have a jump up record somewhere in the playlist Woo. like it's just like you, you're so ever present and like i do that questions almost implausible that you could do like a ska show right. without yeah. jump up records in it <laughs> no and, I, and i've had i've had curiosities and questions for you for a while now so I'm, I'm glad to get this chance to talk to you it's it's been great man cool no this was this was awesome i i hope people want to listen to the <laughs> i bet you i bet you This concludes another episode of Hornpod. If you like this kind of thing, maybe tell your friends. Help us become the world's top ska podcast by leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. But more than anything, please just keep coming back for another episode. Bye, everybody. Sayonara! Sayonara! <laughs>